Thank you very much, and good morning, dear friends at Hope. It's good to be with you again this Sunday. We are your missionaries to Portugal, and we've been serving there for over 25 years. We're um, transitioning now to a U.S.-based ministry. We will still maintain, for the time being, our involvement at the Portuguese Bible Institute uh, through distance learning. I'm still teaching some classes online. That's one of the changes that we made in the beginning of the pandemic. And we feel like God continues to bless the ministry of the school, equipping young Portuguese men and women for the work of the ministry. And um, we did uh, thank um, uh, the people that were present in Sunday school today, but we just want to uh, say once again in the church service, thank you so much over the course of these many years, your partnership with us and your prayers on our behalf and your financial giving, which has helped make it possible for us to serve in this capacity in Portugal. We, have, uh, we gave out during Sunday school, uh, and we still have uh, in the, on the back table, or front table, I guess it is, as you enter the church, we have some of these round magnets that you can stick somewhere that has a metal surface, and it has a picture of the Bible uh, Institute, uh, along with my email address contact, but it's just a way for you once again to remember to pray for the ministry of the Bible School and also for the country of Portugal where less than 1% of the population knows Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. It is a country with a deep, rich tradition, uh, religious tradition, but so many, for so many of the people, it doesn't go beyond a religious tradition. It has not become a part of their lives to where they are uh, evangelical Christians believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was a wonderful uh, video that we uh, just saw during the service before the last hymn, wasn't it? Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. I don't know about you, but so many times my heart is not still. I still struggle with that. And we get in the middle of the routine of life, and there's so much going on, and so much of it, it, it can even be good things, but we find ourselves busier and busier and busier to the point that we often neglect the spiritual aspect of our lives. And it's a good reminder what we saw there from the scriptures. And as we read the word, it's just such a good reminder to just settle down, to calm our hearts, to be still, and know that God is God. So many times we neglect the most important things in our lives, don't we? we? We neglect the daily reading of the Word of God and the time of communion that we can have with God. And, and even, I don't know if you find this to be true, but even on those times when we do it, when we make the effort to do it, we do it in a distracted way. 
I don't know if it's happened with you, but it's happened with me so many times where I read a passage of scripture and I realize after my reading, I have no idea what I just read because my mind is racing and thinking about so many different things and my list of things that I have to do. And as I said, they might even be good things, but at, at times I find that the Lord is put aside as I'm busy doing things, even things for him. Uh, Jerry and I were even commenting about this today. We thought that in this season of our lives, we assumed that we would have more time to be still and meditate on the word, but we're finding even in this phase of our lives it's a challenge because each day something comes up and the and lives are busy and it's just hard to, to focus and choose the right priorities. So we need reminders, don't we? And I want to take you this morning to a passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke that brings to us once again a lesson that's so important for us to see. And so I'd like us to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42. And as you open your Bibles and you glance quickly, uh, maybe your Bible has a title and you see right away, Martha and Mary, and I just know that there's uh, at least a couple of different reactions as you look at this. Some people love this story. Some people don't like this story at all. And I think it depends a lot on our personalities in reality. Some of us are just, by nature, we're people, we're very active and we like to do things and we like to serve and quite frankly, it irritates us to think of people that are not serving and just sort of living a contemplative life. But there's other people that really appreciate the story because they can identify and they love to spend time with the Lord. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. I personally find this story always convicting, but I also feel like it's a simple story, but a story which has been misunderstood to a certain degree and misinterpreted and misapplied. So I'd like to walk with you through the story, but make some connections with the context, the immediate context, the literary context in which the story is placed by the writer Luke, the immediate context and then the larger context and, and see how this helps us understand this account a little bit better, but before we look at that, I'd like to just read the story once again from the New International Version of the Bible, and then comment on a few things that we see happening here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, 
You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's just ask the Lord for his help as we look into his word. Father, we thank you for how you revealed yourself to so many different authors, and we thank you for what the author Luke has chosen to include in his gospel. And we pray this morning that you will open our minds and our hearts to receive your word and to allow it to speak to us and to transform our lives. Amen. I think one of the things that I want to say right from the beginning is that this story is not primarily a story about women and their domestic problem of caring for the home. I know that a lot of women get irritated about this because probably some husbands use a story like this and say, see, you ought to be more like Mary and not worry so much about that the bed's made or the dishes are clean or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get a little upset about that, but that isn't really the purpose of this story. This story is a story about discipleship. And it's for men and women because we all share the same tendencies. So we have to understand that first. In fact, in the immediate context, Luke has included three stories or three texts to help disciples understand what God wants from them. And it's fascinating because these three accounts touch the various aspects of life. The first story in chapter 10, 25 to 37, is that familiar story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what's the point there? It's the relationship of the disciple to the person in need. Uh, In other words, our horizontal relationships. And now in this story that we have before us at the end of chapter 10, Jesus is explaining to his disciples the relationship that they need to maintain with him as they do ministry. And then immediately following that, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, Jesus talks to his disciples about the whole area of prayer and the relationship that they should maintain with God the Father. Isn't that a beautiful summary of the disciples' various relationships in this one text that Luke puts before us. The relationship with those in need, our fellow human, uh, the relationship with Jesus, and the relationship with God the Father. But as the story opens, I want you to observe something very important, because before we say anything about Martha... And it's easy to be negative about Martha. But before we say anything negative, we need to notice something very important. And that is that Martha was trying to do something to honor her Lord and Savior and to demonstrate that she was one of his. She was on his team. I want to show you that by the context here and what's happening. And this is a little bit... uh, Um, uh, covered up, if I could say, by the New International Version. I'm not saying there's a problem with the translation, but sometimes 
when you translate things loosely, you miss a little bit of the connections with the context. And so we read in the very first verse in Luke 10 and verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Open her home. Most other translations, for instance, the ESV, New American Standard Bible, uh, New English Translation, New Living Translation, uh, and even the King James Version is similar. Uh, most translations have Martha welcomed him. The King James Version has received him. And so uh, maybe you're thinking, okay, so what's the big deal? That's really interesting. Well, in the beginning of this section, in chapter 9, and verse 51, it is the beginning of a larger section in the Gospel of Luke. And it's often referred to as the travel narrative. It's when Jesus begins his final journey to Jerusalem, and in chapter 19, he finally arrives there. So it begins in chapter 9, and all during the journey to this travel narrative, the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus is teaching his disciples and using uh, opportunities to communicate with them what he wants them to know and learn. And so we read, for instance, in Luke 9:51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, I want you to watch what happens here in the context, because this is important. And he sent messengers uh, on ahead. They went into a Samaritan village, and what they were doing is preparing the way for the Lord to arrive. They went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but, verse 30, uh, 53 but the people there did not welcome him. It's the same word, because he was heading for Jerusalem. So these were people that chose not to align themselves with Jesus for one reason or another. They did not welcome him. But again, when we arrive at the story about Martha and Mary, the very first thing we see is that Martha opened up her home and welcomed Jesus. Again, we see it in chapter 10. In chapter 10, Jesus sends out the, a larger group of disciples, 72, two by two to go into all the surrounding area. And look at the instruction that he gives them, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, again the word appears, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. Why? Why is that? Because the kingdom of God is present in the person of Jesus Christ. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, same word, go into the streets, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And again now, as we get to the end of chapter 10, I think we need to understand this within its context. When the scriptures say that Mary opened her home to him or that Mary welcomed Jesus, she was publicly aligning herself with Jesus as Messiah in spite of all the opposition that was going on around her. She was not afraid to declare openly, I am one of his. I am his friend. I am his follower. I am opening up my home. I am welcoming him with open arms. And she wanted to just do this wonderful thing to have him come and provide this meal for him. So the problem is not in what Martha wanted to do. The problem is not with her service as such. We will see in this text that there are two primary problems that Martha had and that we often have as we want to do things for the Lord, for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The first problem that we notice here in Martha, we'll we'll notice two things, both her attitude and also what she chose a question of, of, of priorities. But the first thing we notice is the problem of attitude here. Again, the problem is not with service. Jesus wants us to serve. Jesus wants us to be active. But it is no good serving with a bad attitude. And let's confess, this often happens And what was the problem with Martha? We see it again looking at the text. Skipping ahead to verse 40. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. We get the impression that maybe Martha also would have liked to have had the time to sit and listen to Jesus' teaching. After all, this is a very special person. It's the Lord of glory. It's her master. It's the one who has the truth of God. But Martha felt distracted, pulled in every direction because of what she felt was her responsibility to do. And when Jesus speaks to Martha, we also see a a revelation of her problem. Jesus says to her, uh, addressing her very tenderly in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Martha, you're filled with anxiety. You need to deal with this part of your life. You're serving, that's a good thing but you're so anxious and worried and and strung out about everything. And when the Lord uses this word worried, he's using a word that he has used already in other contexts of referring to disciples that they should not be worried about the things of this world. Because what happens is when we're distracted and worried and filled with anxiety, it, it pulls us away from the Lord and, 
it inhibits our spiritual growth and our development towards maturity. And the Lord loved Martha dearly, and he wanted her to, to realize this about her own life. Martha, I, I, I appreciate your service, but you're so distracted, you're so anxious, you're so worried about so much. You need to be still. Calm down. Martha, in fact, was was so upset about things, and I don't know if you have found this happening in your life, but what happens to Martha? She's so upset about what's going on. I mean, I mean, you can you can see her frustration in this passage, right? Her anger and frustration, and to an extent, I can understand it. Martha is thinking, I've got so much to do. And what is that lazy sister of mine doing? She's in there sitting like the men in my culture do. She's there sitting, listening to the rabbi, listening to our master. And there is so much to do. I would just like to wring her neck. No, the text doesn't say that. But what's remarkable, did you catch it when I read through it? What is Martha's reaction? She is in such frustration. She's so filled with frustration that she interrupts the conversation, the teaching, and she addresses Jesus as Lord, (laughs) but tells him, gives him a piece of her mind and tells him what he, she thinks he ought to do in this situation. Let's see it again. But Martha was uh, distracted. Verse 40, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Wow. Uh, Get it, right? She's saying this to the Lord of glory, to Jesus, her Messiah. It's like uh, in the parable of the... The, the prodigal son, when he tells his father to, to, to tell the other son what to do, it's, it's such a confusing thing. Or the guy who wanted the, the, the riches divided, and he went to Jesus and he said, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Do you ever find this happening? I know it's happened in my own life, and it's a tendency for those of us who love to serve and love to work and do and honor Jesus with our lives, and we get frustrated. I'll just be honest with you. We get frustrated when we look around at other people just sitting, not doing anything, And at times we even find ourselves getting so frustrated that we start to get angry at other people. I don't know if you've ever found this. I know this is a good church and this would never happen in this church. But in some churches, right, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So what's that mean? 10% of the people are exhausted and wondering why the 90% won't lift a finger to help. 
And what happens sometimes is that the 10% doing the work, every once in a while they start to get a little ticked, a little angry, a little frustrated. Why isn't anybody else doing anything to help? Warren Wearsby says, uh, Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking the time to commune with Christ. If serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. And we need to make an adjustment, right? Even in Portugal among missionaries, I found this happening in my own life. You you get so busy doing things for the Lord and you say, what? Why doesn't somebody else do something? And this is Morrison's problem here with a distracted, anxious spirit that is always going to be a challenge for us. I'm not saying this is easy to deal with. Be still and know that I am God. Wow, it's easy to say. It's hard to live by. But Martha's got another problem here that I want you to see because what her problem is essentially is one of priorities. In that particular situation, there was one of the sisters that made the better choice. It's not just in this text that, okay, everybody did a wonderful job, that's nice. No, one of the sisters made the better choice here. And let's, let's see again what the Lord says to her and, and what the sister did. The sister is Mary, right? The sister who decided to sit. Verse 39, once again. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Sitting at the Lord's feet in the New Testament is a description of a disciple. For instance, Paul was trained under Gamaliel, a famous rabbi. And the scriptures say that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It is a way for the New Testament writers to say, this person has chosen to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, a disciple of someone. In this case, it was Mary choosing deliberately to be a disciple of Jesus, knowing that her time was limited with Jesus, knowing that there was a special guest present. She decided in this situation, the best thing that I can do is to pay attention to his words, listen to him, and be submissive before him. In fact, in the context, again, chapter 9, what happens in chapter 9? We have a, a wonderful event. It's the transfiguration. You remember how Jesus took just a few disciples up with him to the mount, and he was transfigured before their eyes, and they, they, they were able to see a bit of his, of his glory and uh, appearing with him were Moses and and Elijah. But then those uh, uh, those two disappeared. 
and leaving Jesus only before the disciples. And then we hear the voice from heaven in chapter 9. I'll read verse 34. Uh, While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. There's so many voices in this life. And God says to the disciples, and he says to us, This is my son. Listen to him. And that is exactly what Mary was doing. That's why her choice was the better one. Jesus was physically present, and she chose as a good disciple to sit at his feet and listen to his word. And what does Jesus say to Martha? Jesus says to Martha one more time at the end of the passage, verse 41, 42, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What is better in this passage? What is the better thing? Jesus isn't really here talking about a menu when he says only one thing is needed. It's not like sometimes Terry and I joke about when we have a, a dinner, like we're looking forward to this at Thanksgiving, like all of you, having our family together. And sometimes in spite of what the menu is planned, it turns out to be like a smorgasbord of food because everybody brings all kinds of things. And uh, so sometimes we approach this passage and we think that the Lord is saying, You know, you were making uh, vegetables, mashed potatoes, uh, roast beef. Really, only one thing would be necessary, and I'd be happy with that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Martha, in this particular situation, your sister chose what is better. And that better thing is communion with me, spending time with me, learning from me. Now, I realize, having said this, there still is a tension for us, right? You're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you really haven't cleared up the tension. Because we've got a girl that's serving here. We've got a girl that's sitting, listening to the words of Jesus. It sure seems like Jesus is criticizing the server. I wonder if the Lord is telling us we should all just live a contemplative life. Just sit and meditate And just enjoy life like that. Is that what the Lord is asking us? But let me remind you again of the context. As a teacher, I'm always harping on the students. Please, remember the context. Interpret the scriptures in context. We will be better exegetes if we do that. What's in the context again? Remember, Luke is presenting to us various accounts, and he's putting them together. I mean, this is not in chronological order, you understand, because the house, when Jesus is in the area, um, other passages tell us 
We don't read it here, but when we read the Gospel of John, we find out that the house of Martha and Mary is in Bethany, close to Jerusalem. Jesus is not, in this context, close to Jerusalem. So Luke has deliberately dislocated an event, and he's put it together with other stories to make a point. And what, what, what comes right before this? We've already said it. It's the Good Samaritan. What's the Good Samaritan teach? If you see somebody in need, sit at home and pray about it. Ask God to bless the person. Is that what the Good Samaritan teaches? The Good Samaritan teaches, if you see someone in need, whose need you are capable of meeting, You have a responsibility to show love in a practical, concrete way by helping that person. So in context, we we understand Jesus cannot be saying, all I want from my disciples is that you sit and contemplate the wonders of something and pray all day. He can't be saying that. In fact, in this, in the context of that parable, Jesus was asked by the man, you remember, he was asked, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with with a question, well, what's the law say? How do you read it? And the man summarizes the law very well. In fact, Jesus uses the same summary in his teaching. And so in verse 27 of chapter 9, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. There's two parts to that, right? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor yourself. And what happens in the context of Luke is that he reverses the order and he deals with love your neighbor as yourself first with the Good Samaritan. And now he comes back with the illustration of Martha and Mary and illustrates what it means to love God with all of your heart. What I'm saying with this, dear brothers and sisters, Again, the problem is not with our service. We should be serving. The problem is with the attitude with which we serve. And the problem is with our priorities. Sometimes, again, as I said in my introduction, our lives become so full of so many things and you come to the end of the day and you realize... I haven't even had time to even think about God today. And we do that to the detriment of our our souls. And the person preaching here today knows just as much as you how this is. As I already confessed, uh, Terry and I have been discussing how difficult it, and I feel like I've been through the past two weeks a dry period of time where I see myself drifting and the Lord comes back to me with a passage like this and reminds me, Gary, 
What I want from you is not just frenetic activity. I don't want you just doing a lot of things. They might even be good things. But I want what you do to, to, to flow from a heart that is in communion with me. Do you, do you see how that will make the difference? See, when we serve disconnected from Jesus Christ, we tend to serve with frustration and irritation, and we get burned out. But when we commune with Jesus and find our strength in him, when we calm down, when we sit at his feet, then we do serve, but we serve with a whole different motivation and attitude, and our priorities get in line. That's what I think is going on here in this passage. And the question we need to ask ourselves, some of the important questions that we need to ask ourselves today is exactly this. Am I really choosing the right priorities in my life or am I living really as a distracted Christian? Not really able to meditate, to contemplate the beauty of God through his word. It's a tension. Um, D. Donald Carson, a very well-known professor uh, here in the context of the Evangelical Free Church of America, teaching many years at Trinity, he wrote a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, in which he basically focuses on the prayers of the Apostle Paul and helps us to see what Paul prayed for. And it's very enlightening. But in the introduction to that book, he says this, and I quote, The one thing we most urgently need in Western Christendom is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. Not just more about God. We need to know God better. He goes on to say this. God simply becomes the great being who potentially, at least, meets our needs and fulfills our aspirations. We think rather little of what he is like, what he expects of us, and what he seeks in us. We are not captured by his holiness and his love. His thoughts and words capture too little of our imagination, too little of our discourse, too few of our priorities. So what's most important for us? Maybe you like are like me today. I don't know. There's, in any church, there's going to be a variety. Some of you probably need to hear the words, get up and serve, <laughs> right? That's what Jesus wants from you. And it's so important. It is worthwhile giving your lives in service to him. Uh, Jesus doesn't want lazy Christians. He wants Christians who are involved. But maybe others of you are like me, and the word you need to hear this morning is, hey, in the midst of all you want to do for me, 
Don't forget me. Spend time with me. Don't put all of your things in place of me. There's a beautiful, beautiful scripture, and I'm, I'm winding it down now. Uh, there's a beautiful scripture in Revelation 3. Revelation 2 and 3 has uh, seven wonderful messages that Jesus gave to seven local churches of the first century, challenging them to, to live faithful lives in spite of the impending persecution, challenging them to get their priorities straight in some cases. And in the very last letter, the letter to the church of Laodicea, we read these words, and you, you, you see something remarkable in this. This is a church who claims to be a church, and at the same time, the picture that we see is of Jesus standing on the outside and knocking on the door for entrance. This is an amazing thing to think about. And uh, at the very end, he says this, uh, Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. A beautiful picture of communion and intimacy and fellowship with our Lord and Savior. So what is it for your life? Which way is it for yours, for mine? Is Jesus more on the outside, knocking, saying, hey, I'd like to be part of your life. And, and we say, I'm really busy right now. You know, I'm doing a lot of good things for the kingdom. Or are we willing to come to that point of making the difficult decisions and reorganizing our priorities so that we can have time to let him in, open the door, let him in and say, yes, I want to dine with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want the power of my service to come for my relationship with you. It's a challenge. Daryl Bach uh, says that there's two big emphases here in this passage. Martha's consumption with assessing, evaluating others as she's performed what she's called to do, right? Really, it's none of her business. And Mary's wisdom in seeking some time at the feet of Jesus. Both qualities, one negative, the other positive, are at the heart of discipleship. I want to close with two more words from a famous preacher in the past, Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes, Only at the feet of Jesus can the divine power be gained, which works in us holiness and sanctifies us practically. And then what does all this have to do with missions? Spurgeon reminds us. And as for missions, we appoint our committees, 
We amend our plans. We suggest schemes. All very well and good, but missions will never flourish till the church, with regard to missions, sits at the feet of Jesus. I think what I'm uh, uh, asking this morning, uh, what the Lord is asking through me, is a rebalancing of our lives, right? It's not extremes. It's not one way or the other. It's not just all service or all contemplation. It's serving from a heart that's in constant communion with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That will look different for each one of us, I realize. For a mother with three kids, it will probably look different than for an old dodger like me that's approaching retirement. I understand that. But in all of our lives, in some way, in in some periods of our week, we need to reorganize, rebalance, find space where we can just sit still and be with Jesus. Soak up his words, allow his words to get into us and to transform us is what he wants for our lives. May God give us the courage to make the decisions that need to be made in this regard.